Hey everyone, before we get started, I just wanted to remind you to use our Blick affiliate link when you order your art supplies from Blick.com. When you're shopping, just navigate to Blick by going to MessyStudioPodcast.com slash Blick or clicking the Blick button in the upper left-hand corner of the homepage. And you can also just bookmark that link, and that way every time you buy your art stuff, uh, you're benefiting the podcast and you don't even need to think about it. You just use your bookmark. Uh, I also want to let everyone know that the Pan Pastel sets are 20 to 40% off right now. I know Rebecca really likes these a lot, and it's a great time to stock up on your favorites. The full 80 color set is only 330 bucks right now. That's normally $550. There are also a bunch of really nice 10 color sets that are normally 60 for only $36.92. So once again, take advantage of that promotion and support the Messy Studio Podcast by going to www.messystudiopodcast.com slash Blick, or just click the Blick button in the upper left-hand corner of the Messy Studio homepage. All right, that's it for now. On with the show. Hello and welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. On today's show, we are talking about what are the rules. The limitations and parameters we place for ourselves in the studio can have both positive and negative effects on our work. Like so many aspects of an art practice, the challenge is to find a personal balance that suits us. In this case, somewhere between being too rigid and too scattered. What rules do we set for ourselves and how well do they serve us? What are rules that we accept from other people that don't suit us personally? Can our own helpful boundaries shift over time? With me as always is Rebecca Kroll. Hello, everyone. So this topic came to mind because of a recent conversation. I had a friend in the studio and I have so many different things going on right now. Like um, at the amount of stuff uh, that's going on in there at, at one time, I would have thought too scattered, too unfocused. And I've got, you know, I've got drawings, um, both abstract and figurative drawings, sketchbooks, paintings, um, different, I'm experimenting with different media. I just I just actually bought someone's used and caustic supplies that are sitting there uh, waiting to be played around with. Um, and so I've been kind of surprising myself with these uh, explorations. And I would say that for a long time, for many years, I had just kind of more set boundaries about what I would do about my work. What was me? What was my voice? Um, in Ross's terms, uh, my brand. <laughs> and you know, I just felt like that was important, and I, I believe it is. Um, but I, even when I go on an artist residency where you're typically being more exploratory, um, I still wouldn't stray that far from my basic approaches, even though I was in a new place and taking in a lot of info. And I, I it started me thinking, well, what is what is this? Like, why is it different now? And I think that maybe, um, for me, it's kind of a stage of life, um, kind of a, you know, being mid-60s, and, and also a stage of this, you know, what's around us right now is that there's, um, because of the pandemic, there's there's not as many deadlines, there's not as many demands or anything. I don't, you know, shows and whatnot. And so it's been a freeing time in that way. And 
Um, I'm not sure, actually, that it would have been beneficial for me to be to loosen up those boundaries earlier. I mean, some of these things are good because, um, you know, I look back and I say, well, for a long time, for many years, I was going after a pretty solid idea of what I was doing. I had certain rules in place. I my work was abstract and it was uh, based in the landscape, and that carried me along, kept me on track. Um, and it was all important, and it's brought me to to where I am now, which is kind of a, an exciting time of feeling like I can expand while still feeling tied to my work. Um, like my basic intentions are still there. Um, and it just feels like my definition of what it is has gotten more flexible. That kind of goes back to what you said in the intro, Ross, about how the kind of boundaries that we set around what we do um, can change over time. And I think it's good that they do. And it's kind of good when it just sort of flows naturally out of how you're feeling about your work and, and everything. Um, well, boundaries or rules fundamentally represent safety uh, in a lot of ways. And when we're young and we're learning, um, rules are are passed down to us from the previous generations to keep us safe and to keep us grounded um, and, uh, and to not allow us to take on too much risk. And at some point, taking on risk becomes necessary in order to uh, become successful in order to to expand and grow. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so we, I think we need to continually be reassessing what our what our level of risk is and what we're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be times when it's necessary to take on more risk um, and to push the boundaries and to try new things. Um, and and there's always going to be a, a risk reward equation that's going into that. Um, and, and there's going to be times when it's beneficial for us to, to stay a little bit more bound in with, with what is low risk. And for many people right now, uh, it may be that they're not comfortable taking on a whole lot of risk because they're suffering financially or something like that. Um, and so I think you need to gauge where you are in life and how much risk you're willing to take on and, um, and how much you're willing to lose and what you're willing to risk in order to to gain more. So that's that's a deeply personal thing that uh, a decision that needs to be made. It, yeah, it's really it's really individual. And I mean, I think there's a you can spend a long time with a fairly narrow focus or direction because you're developing it and you're learning uh, so much and you're you're achieving a mastery of whatever that direction is. And, you know, we've, we've talked about this before in the podcast. Um, if you're very scattered um, all the time, you're not really going deeply enough into something to really, to really understand it or to, um, you know, build on it. And so it is that, that particular balance. And it's interesting that you brought up risk because that is the, that's, that's what's balancing this out. Um, whether we, whether we stick with something the tried and true, whether we push a little bit when we push. I mean, it's, it's very, um, it's just one of those things, like we say uh, that so much in the art practice, that's, that's kind of um, uh, balancing and it changes. It absolutely changes according to where you are and what, what your situation is. Um, And, you know, it's, it's interesting too, when you go outside of where your boundaries are a little bit, 
it can either be, it, it can be really exciting. It can also feel really strange. I mean, I, I had this um, experience the last couple of years when I'm in New Mexico, I've been going to this figure drawing group. And I have to say, at first, it felt really strange. I thought, um, this isn't what I do. I don't work with a figure. Um, but it, ch- it challenged my definition of what I do. And then gradually over time, it started to feel I could see the similarities actually to what I was doing with shape in an abstract way. And, you know, somehow it's come together. But if I hadn't thought, well, I'll try this. I think it's kind of outside of what I do, but I'm going to, I'm going to let that happen because it was, I enjoyed it. I mean, it was challenging and interesting. Um, So anyway, that's just a personal example of how just stepping outside a little bit. And then now it's all becoming a little more integrated into what I'm doing. Um, and I thought, you know, there's a lot of different words that people use for this thing, this boundaries or whatever. I thought I'd, we could look at just a little bit about those words because even the words imply different levels of, um, I guess a lot of times we talk about we're giving ourselves permission to do something, that little phrase. And these words imply different levels of that, I think. So, these are my own interpretations, you know, um, feel free to weigh in, Ross. But so one of the words is focus. Um, I'm focused on this. This is my focus. And I think that's a really good word because it sort of implies a flexibility that it's going to shift over time. But it also means you're you're pretty serious about looking into this, whatever it is. I'm going to focus on uh, painting with oil and cold wax or whatever it is that you're, you know, you're looking at pretty closely, you're working with it. Um, another word people use is parameters. And that, I think it's a little more also pretty flexible. It sort of implies kind of broad intentions. And the idea, and this is, I mean, I know there are um, scientific or mathematical uses of the word, but when people use it kind of colloquially, it's usually the idea that you know, you set some boundaries kind of intentionally or purposefully, but then you're going to be free within those um, intentions is something, um, you know, I talk about when I teach, Jerry and I talk about this in our, our workshops. Um, and that kind of is kind of a broad base of, of your ideas of what your work is about. And intentions can be pretty pointed, they can be quite defined, or they can be a little bit less so. And they can most of them will hold pretty solid over time if you've kind of narrowed down to what they are for you, and others can be uh, flexible according to what you're working on. Um, personal example of my own intentions is for a long time that I want my work to be um, evocative, interpretive, and in an abstract way rather than illustrative or descriptive or defined. And, you know, that's held true whatever I'm doing. Um, and it's it's kind of hard to to find those intentions. They Usually you don't just sit down and write them out in a list because they come out of your own experience and they have to be kind of filtered through and thought about. But when you do figure out what they are, they're a really good guide. And, um, and I like that. I like having those because they do set these kind of... Um, boundaries about what around what I'm doing so that if I do something it's way outside of my intentions um it doesn't feel like me it doesn't feel 
sincere somehow. Um, boundaries are another word that people use, and that seems to be kind of a middle of the road word. Um, it you know kind of says, well, I've made these personal decisions about what feels right, but sometimes these are you're starting to get into some territory here that. Uh, kind of needs a little bit more restrictive, a little in terms more rigid. Of yeah, like challenging yeah. some of these things because some of them may have been set in your own mind, uh, without any real insight or without really thinking. Well, what is that boundary? And you know, we're going to go into these a little bit more specifically too. But uh, limitations is another word. Wow, that one really sounds pretty limiting, doesn't? It? I mean, tight and rigid. Um, and it may not be true to what we're really capable of. It, it may stand in the way if we think of things as as real limitations. Um, yeah, kind of negative too. It sounds like something that, uh, you know, like a well-intended authority figure might say to you, <laughs> right. you know, and, and don't reach beyond your limitations right. or something, you know, and not, not really very, a whole, a whole lot of optimism in that, in that no. word. I mean, I will say there are limitations that are kind of practical things like the size of your studio or your budget or something. And that's okay. Um, you learn to work within those, but sort of the emotional limitations I think can kind of be a problem. And then but those are limitations that you can work on expanding you can. as well. They're not they're not um, personal to you. They're like your situation. Right. They're situational, yeah. Yeah. Um and and then the last one I, I had noted as far as all these words that we use for this kind of thing, um, is rules. Uh rules sound pretty clear cut and rigid. Um doesn't mean they're not helpful because I think we all have some rules that are important to us. They might be more like ethical rules or things that we really believe in. Um, but other rules could be, uh, you need to question them because they can be handed down from other people and don't really feel right to you, but you've never really thought about them that much. Um, well, and I would add one more word beyond that, which would be laws. Ah. <laughs> and, and these would be extremely rigid rules, usually imposed by other people and usually kind of set in stone. Um, and uh, I'm not sure how many laws uh, artists are encountering on a regular basis, maybe besides like gravity. Um, <laughs> gravity but, uh, is one, yes. We can't yeah, really argue the, with that. <laughs> right. But these but these are essentially like set in stone, like you can't go beyond this. Otherwise, you're going to have some kind of consequence. And there's a lot of, there are art rules that are, you sort of know they're there to be played around with or experimented with like the rule of thirds or the the rule of um in in distributing value in a painting there's a rule about like two-thirds of one value one third of another and a little bit of a third and you know you can find you can totally find lots of works of art that defy these rules um and they're sort of there as guidelines Maybe you're stuck. Maybe you need some help. Oh, that might be useful to know that. And those kind of rules, I think, um, cannot be taken that seriously. <laughs> I don't think they're exactly laws either. Um, right. And I should be clear that it, when I'm talking about laws in the sense of human laws and, and ones that are imposed by other people, I, I think that if they're unjust, then you should absolutely be violating them. Uh, but uh, if they're if they're just laws and they have to do with, you know, keeping you 
safe and not harming other people and yeah. things like that, then then they are like very rigid, set in stone, right. cannot go any further. And, you know, I think confining this to what we encounter in the studio, I would say there probably are very few actual laws. Right. And and, and I think that in, in the kind of human laws I'm talking about, most of the time what we're looking at is historical examples. Yeah. Um, you know, Galileo saying that uh, that the earth is not the center of the universe and things like that. Yeah. Um, so it's, I, I, I think that it's easy to come up with historical examples of creatives violating human laws for the benefit of humankind. Um, but, uh, maybe not so many contemporary examples of that. Yeah. Real quick. I want to let everyone know about what's new with squeegee press. Squeegee press has now undergone its beautiful transformation to become cold wax Academy. And what's more, for everyone who enjoys using their special cold wax tools, all sizes of the SP Create squeegees are now back in stock. Rebecca and her partner, Jerry McLaughlin, are also launching their online live learning sessions as part of the new membership program, and all sessions will be recorded for future viewing by members. For more information and to become a member of Cold Wax Academy, please visit their website at www.coldwaxacademy.com and click on the membership button. That's www.coldwaxacademy.com and hit the membership button. All right, let's get back into it. Okay, so let's let's get down to some concrete examples of things that we deal with in the studio um, and figure out, like, well, what's helpful? What isn't? Um what are the things that are restrictive and and not very helpful and what are the things that are helpful because definitely if we maybe we just want to call them guidelines a lot of us have things that we we feel are important to, to go with um and think about where these things come from do they do they um do they help us or not and I think for the purpose of this discussion, we'll just call them rules. I mean, it's an easy word. I would say some rules are good. They keep us on track. And and they usually come from our own personal needs, like good habits, like going to the studio on a regular basis, um, keeping up with uh, financial records. You know, if you let that go too long, it becomes a, a huge burden. Um, answering your art-related emails, you know, keeping up with your business. And if you have those kind of rules about your practice, I think that's pretty healthy. You know, it kind of keeps you moving. Um, some good rules are based in practicality, like maybe you're buying supplies within a certain budget or you you need to schedule your studio time around your job or what your family needs. And I'd say, too, there are some good rules in an art practice that are conventional. They're coming at you from other places, but they have some truth to them. And the one that came to mind here was uh, don't pay to play. In other words, many artists are approached by um, situations in which a gallery asks them to pay in order to have an exhibit. This is pretty common. and. I remember early on doing this and figuring out in the end that it was kind of a ripoff. And at about that time, somebody said, well, you know, it's good advice, never pay to play. If you're entering into an agreement with a gallery and everything is um, as it should be, really, I think, 
you're both going to benefit. The gallery will earn money when you sell the work and you'll earn money too. So when they're set up as, you know, you're going to have to pay for the whole thing. It's, it's just, it's not a good way to, to start. And um, so I feel like that's a pretty good rule. You know, that's, you might find occasion to break it, but it's, it's kind of a good guideline. Um, another one is, you know, build up a consistent body of work before you approach a gallery. I mean, you hear a lot of these kind of business rules and they're good. You know, I think they're, they're founded in a reality. They have a logical basis. Um, the, also within our own work, we can have, you know, pretty positive kind of rules. Like maybe you want to, you, you decide that you're going to look into something really closely as a series and you're going to set up some rules around your series. Like every, all the work is going to be a certain size or format, or you're going to work with certain colors or compositions. You know, those are good. That That's the kind of thing that helps you focus. But uh, so, you know, I just want to put it out there that there's a lot of good things that we can either arrive at ourselves for our own work or we're going to accept from the outside world as being based in, you know, experience, logic, etc. And then there's these kind of illogical rules <laughs> and they can hold you back. And it might be the voice of a parent or a teacher or somebody else trying to um, tell you what to do in the studio. And I thought of a few of these. Um, which I have had in my own head at times and have had to say, wait a minute, I don't think that's quite working for me. And one of them is um, finish one painting before you start another. I don't know where this came from, but I was aware that it was in my own head. And that was definitely a good thing to break because um, if you have any tendency to just keep picking at something until it's done uh, to allow yourself to say, well, I'm going to put that aside and I'm going to work on six other things. And it's very, uh, it's really good for your energy. Um, and it keeps you engaged in things, um, and excited about your work. So <laughs> that's a good one to break. Um, another one is always fix a bad painting rather than abandoning it. This one is one that I have trouble breaking that rule. I recognize it in my head. And the few times, um, actually lately I've thrown away some works on paper and it really felt good. Just, <laughs> okay, that is going nowhere. I'm tired of it. I'm resisting it. It's going to feel good to say, I'm not doing that anymore. And um there are a lot of rules around being sort of thrifty and, and maybe some of these are really good, but I realize in my own head, I have some kind of thing saying, you know, don't spend more than a certain amount on an a tube of paint. Well, anybody who's bought oil paint knows the prices range from pretty inexpensive to, I mean, like a couple hundred dollars for a tube of paint. Right. And prices change over time. Mm -hmm. And you know, and obviously we have budgets and things, but even if you could afford it, and even if you would spend that money on something else that was, I don't know, an article of clothing or something, is there something in your head that says, yeah, but when it comes to paint, you just can't buy that really expensive paint. Um, and this is, like I said, if you can afford it. But I guess I would say pushing the limits of what you can afford when buying paint can be very out of the comfort zone. Um, 
most artists are aware that you waste paint and you know you're going to be end up scraping some of this paint off and so <laughs> that's a tricky one um then there's these kind of art rules like don't ever use black paint from a tube. I mean, that one just kills me because why are they even making paint from black paint from a tube? <laughs> but there are there are teachers who will say, don't ever do that. Well, come on. Maybe you don't in your work, but maybe I want to, you know. <laughs> um, other art rules. This one is absolutely breakable. All paintings need a focal point. That's a very narrow view of composition. And... Um, lots and lots of, especially abstract paintings, have no focal point. Uh, but it's amazing. I mean, I'll be teaching a workshop and somebody will say, yeah, but but don't we need a focal point? I'll be like, no. Um, but that's been implanted, you know, and by somebody who was quite adamant about it. Uh, another one is like there's various ways to sort of cheat. It's thought of in a bad way. Oh, my painting isn't working uh, vertically, I'm going to turn it horizontally and see how it looks then. Well, yes, that's absolutely fine in my book. But um, other people say, yeah, but isn't that cheating if I started out with it vertically? Is it really okay to turn it? You know, And you realize how many of these things we have in our brains. Um, it is really worth uh, challenging those and saying, yeah, but well, how... First of all, why call it cheating? That's a very negative word. And, um, you know, what are the consequences? It's your painting. If you want to turn it, go ahead, you know? Um, I think a lot of these things fall into kind of the category of tradition. Um, and adherence to tradition in a lot of a lot of ways can be very positive. There can a lot of these things are are um, you know traditions or rules that have been created over time because of their utility, but we don't really understand them anymore. Um, and sometimes they can be things that really are very positive and and um, and useful, whether we recognize their utility or not. Uh, and other times they are based more on superstition or um, just a an adherence to the way things have always been done, whether they, those are purposeful and, and, and uh, useful or not. Yeah, and you know, when you're saying that, it occurs to me that this whole thing about don't use black from the tube um, may have evolved when there weren't that many blacks available. But now, if you look at what different companies list, you know, there's warm blacks and cool blacks and transparent and opaque and you know, there's a lot of variety. And so um, maybe there was a time when it was all pretty much the, a uniform color that was kind of overbearing. Uh, it's not anymore. And, um, you know, that's just kind of a quick example that came to my mind when you're talking about that. And the whole thing about focal point obviously comes out of a time when it was, um, everything was re more realistically painted and um, there were definitely traditions and conventions and ways that we do things. And um, many of these have been flipped on their heads by different art movements that have come along, but some of them hang on, you know, and it's, uh, yeah, it all it takes really is to say, wait a minute, I don't think that really holds up. It doesn't hold up anymore. It doesn't hold up for me. It doesn't hold up for what I'm doing. And and then say, go away, little voice in my head that's telling me this because it, it's just not useful. 
Um, and some are. Some things are useful. Um, it's finding that balance or finding that truth for yourself, I think. Um, I think we also have rules that come out of our personality or who we are. And uh, a lot of them relate to perfectionism. And if you're a perfectionistic person, you may think things like, um, everything I do has to be successful. Every every painting I do has to be a really good painting. Um, and the flip side of that is, yeah, but um, what about just practicing? What about doing some things that are just because you want to hone a skill or you want to figure something out? Uh, it doesn't all have to be gallery ready, you know? <laughs> Uh, another one is like everything I do has to be purposeful. I have to know what I'm doing. Um, again, that doesn't allow you to be experimental. It doesn't allow you to try things that are outside of how you see yourself. Um, and there's there's also this one that uh, it kind of hangs out there as a sort of stereotype, which is that if you're an artist. Um, Everything is about your artwork, and and you you need to be spending, you know, eight ten hours a day in your studio, and you need to be absolutely dedicated to this at all times. Um, but to me, that is extremely personal, and and can be pretty detrimental if you want to have another part of your life going on. You know, if you <laughs> if you want to have uh, a family and friends and um. And you want to spend time doing things that are just fun. I mean, again, very personal, very individual. But I think to some extent we may we may hold that idea in our minds. I I I need to be spending all day, every day, constantly at my artwork. Is that a rule, or is that um, an ideal, or is that a stereotype? You know, what is that exactly? What works for you? You know. Um, well, and and I I struggle with all three of the things that you just said. <laughs> and I <laughs> right. I definitely I I consider myself at least now to be more in the entrepreneurial space than the artist space. I I still consider myself to be a creative though a, a creator, and uh, and these are all three things that I that I struggle with. And mm-hmm. um, you know, in one sense, I think that it gives you a lot of drive and ambition to have these qualities, but um, it's it's very difficult to to switch off at times when, um, you know, you just want to be enjoying a nice afternoon with your wife, you know, <laughs> or, or like, you know, yeah, having a couple beers with some friends or something, you know, and, uh, and there, there are times when you need to be able to switch it off and it, it can do. get very difficult. And it also, it can be very damaging emotionally when things aren't going the way that you hope that they'll go. Um, it, it, when you have this, this kind of intensity in this um this amount of uh of focus and energy that goes into what you're doing and then if things don't go right then right. it can be very it can be very discouraging right um, and so it's we really we really got to balance those aspects of our personalities so that we can get the most out of our time and and our energy without getting overwhelmed um and and without getting discouraged and these are these are really tough issues, you know. And we're kind of skimming over the surface here, but I think, and we, I think we did an episode early on about perfectionism, and it's that you know it it can 
sink you pretty deep when things are not going according to the rules that you have set for yourself. Hey, I'm following the rules. I'm giving it everything I've got, and it's not working out. Um, and then it, it can seem very unfair. Like, why isn't life playing by the rules, you know, <laughs> by my rules that I set up, that if I work very hard, it's, it's all going to happen. Um, so that's that's pretty big. I think there are also um, rules that we sort of follow inside that are a result of kind of a negative thing, kind of a, a not this ambition and this drive, but this kind of insecurity maybe about um, a lot of artists will tell themselves things like, um, I'm not worthy of a gallery. I'm not worthy of high prices. I'm uh, Nobody would want to buy my work. And these kind of things that people sort of believe that they're that's their parameters, that's their boundaries. Um, I need constant reassurance or I need uh, some sort of authority to guide me whenever I want to try something new. These kind of boundaries and limitations can definitely, they're definitely in the minds of a lot of artists that, you know, we're not, we're not quite ready somehow and we're not good enough or something. And and they can be just basically insecurities, but they can also form into these kind of boundaries. Like, I'm not going to try. I'm not going to try showing my work to anybody else because it's not it's not ready or something. Well, and the really damaging thing about about those set of uh, of the insecurities and, and self-talk um, is that we really need optimism in order to push our boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, we need a, a positive mindset in order to take on risk. It's very, very difficult to do if you if you don't if you're not feeling optimistic and positive about it's things. It's really hard. Yeah. And so these these kind of rules and limitations that you set for yourself set for yourself that increase negativity can make it very, very difficult to take on risk. And and we do need to take on a certain amount of risk in order to achieve more um and 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 so it's these these kinds of limitations can be very very damaging um yeah. and uh and i it's i i'm i struggle too with with remaining optimistic a lot of times and i i project a lot of optimism on this show but it's something that i struggle with um and uh it's it's something that is very very important to to try to maintain a, a sense of of positivity a positivity about your work yeah um, otherwise taking on more risk, which is oftentimes necessary, is is impossible. And, you know, I, I I totally agree. And I kind of, you know, I had one more note here as we're kind of wrapping up. But, you know, there's a flip side of that, too. And you do see this in certain people, which is uh, their rules are all about they're stemming from a kind of arrogance or self-delusion about it's like the opposite of being insecure. <laughs> it's being, you know, grandiose, maybe. Uh, I, I don't need anybody else's input. Or, uh, you know, I'm setting these really high prices on my work, but that's what I deserve. You know, that's my rule. I'm not going to go under a certain price. Even if I'm starting out or even if I have no track record of sales, I'm going to, you know, this is what I need. I'm going to get this money. Um, or my art comes first at the expense of everything else in life. You know, <laughs> that's a rule. Um, or, you know, uh, I don't need to seek anybody out to appreciate my work. They'll, they'll come to me. I'm not going to do that. They have to come to me. And every now and then you run into somebody who operates 
with this kind of um, rules of I don't have to, well, basically kind of, I don't have to play by everybody else's rules in the art world, um, even when some of those rules are well-established and make a lot of sense, um, that you have to, you do have to put yourself out there and you do have to, if you want to make it as a career, you know, you do have to play by some of the rules that in the art market and, this seems to be kind of um, antiquated or, again, kind of a stereotype of this kind of extreme um, arrogance that the rules don't apply to me. But, you know, it's kind of interesting if you have those tendencies to consider that they might be holding you back. Well, and I think that overconfidence to the extreme of of narcissism um, is uh, – it's that it may be a damaging quality in a sense. Um, but I think that in the long term, that person is more likely to achieve some level of success with their work than somebody who's underconfident. And it could be. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I like all, those may be things that we need to moderate in ourselves. Um, but I, I think that it's not nearly as damaging as the, as the, 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 the negative side. Yeah. I, I, think that's probably true because if you can pull back from that and say okay I'm going to um, I'm going to humble myself to <laughs> do some of these things that are the rules of the art world yeah um, it's it is probably a better position to come from than I won't even try I won't even take that first step um, so anyway that's kind of that's kind of what I had as far as like examples of these things, but I, I think it's um, it's a big topic. I mean, you know, we're just touching on this a little bit, but this is, I think it's really interesting to sort of step back and say, okay, what, what are the things that I think are my boundaries and my parameters and my rules, or in a more positive way, maybe my intentions, my focus, and kind of take a look at those. Uh, so do you have any final thoughts to wrap up this episode? Well, you know, I keep coming back to that thing that people say uh, about I'm giving myself permission to do whatever or or thank you, you've given me permission to uh, work larger or something. You know, as a teacher, I hear this. Um, and and I, I'm just kind of struck by that phrase. Um, because it it says, hey, the words those words say that we do have rules and boundaries that sometimes need to be challenged, um, and so when we say uh, I'm going to give myself permission to, it's typically said when we realize that we're restricting ourselves in some negative way, and that we're sensing that there's some benefit to easing up on that or challenging it or trying something different. So. Um, yeah, I guess I would just like to leave our listeners with the idea of considering your own boundaries and which ones serve you well and which ones um, could be questioned and challenged. All right. Well, that just about wraps up this episode of The Messy Studio. For more from The Messy Studio, please check out www.messystudiopodcast.com and sign up for the email list. You can also find The Messy Studio on Facebook, as well as public profiles for both Rebecca Kroll and myself, Ross Tickner. For more from Rebecca Kroll, please check out www.rebeccacroll.com and Cold Wax Academy at www.coldwaxacademy.com. 
and sign up for the email lists to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. The Messy Studio Podcast is a core publication management production. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. In the meantime, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise. Thanks, everybody.